Welcome to the Be Disciples podcast with your hosts Kyle Morse and Dakota Smith. Join us in conversation about discipleship. We will be starting a new study in the book of James. What's going on, Dakota? Yo, what's up, Kyle Morris? How you doing? Chilling, chilling. It's Labor Day, man. Ready for episode. It is Labor Day, and uh, it's episode 21. Yes. So that's exciting. We're in the 20s. And uh, getting a lot of listenership, which is fun. Uh, I'd like to know... I like to see, you know, people listening in, knowing that uh, they find our stuff valuable. So if you're listening for the first time, thank you for joining us. And we really want to just bring encouragement to our listeners through our discussions about discipleship. Uh, What we do is we we either get into the Word of God and talk about Scripture, or we interview somebody about their walk in discipleship and share their story about what they're doing in their lives. So. Um, tonight we're going to start a new study, which is pretty cool, and we're going to start the book of James. Yeah, we're going to be in James. James is going to help us because there's so much that James has to say about practical Christian living. It doesn't necessarily focus on heavy Christian doctrines as much, but true faith, true wisdom, you know, a, a genuine walk with God, true religion, if you could call it that. So we're really excited because we can jump in and out of James as we continue to work uh, with our guests when we interview them on those weeks. Uh, two guests that we do have coming up on the show would be Jeremy Pryor with uh, Five Minute Fatherhood and the Skills of Fatherhood uh, podcast. He works with Jeff Bethke. If you know Jeremy Pryor, fantastic guy. Uh, his whole ministry is on elevating and equipping fathers to do the work that a father should do as a Christian. And then we also have an interview with a gentleman named Greg Kokel, one of the most popular apologists of our day. He wrote the book called Tactics, and he works for Stand to Reason uh, Ministry. So Jeremy Pryor is next week. Greg Kokel is on the week of the 28th. It's going to be exciting stuff. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun getting interviews and having good conversations. been very encouraging uh, to me, and I've heard from many listeners who have enjoyed it. And so thank you all who have been on our show. But we're going to jump into James yeah. because, you know, we were talking before uh, before this about uh, what are we going to study, right? We did the Sermon on the Mount yeah. and we were in it for a really long time, all the way up to episode 20, you know, in between all of our interviews. So we spent a lot of time on three chapters yeah. in the book of Matthew. Wow. And and so it was, a, it was a lot. It was a lot. But what was so great about it, at least me personally, was just the consistency of talking about the same Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Sermon on the Mount, those three chapters, it really got into my heart to the point where I was seeing things, I was hearing things, and filtering them through that message of what Jesus gave us. And so when things are said maybe at church or in the community or on the news or wherever that may be, I can filter that through God's Word and say, wait a minute, that doesn't doesn't quite sit right with with what the Bible says. So I want to explore that idea or thought. And so I think the Sermon on the Mount helped me in that way. And so I hope it did for our listeners and for you, Dakota, because it was just a, a good reminder of some of the... Radical discipleship. Most, yeah, and some of the most foundational pieces of Christianity yeah. that 
we sometimes just kind of take for granted and we want to study other things and we don't really get to the the core of what Jesus taught us sometimes. And it's good to make sure we're studying that on a regular basis. You know, with all of that being said, this is a really good segue, but James, uh, the writer of the book of James, is the half-brother of Jesus. And here's what's, here's what's great about this epistle that James wrote is he actually quotes the Sermon on the Mount some say between 18 and 28 times, whether it's a direct quote, uh, you know, or just like subliminally, you can tell he's alluding to the Sermon on the Mount. But he's actually referring to those three chapters which we studied. So this may act like an expansion on the Sermon on the Mount in the days where, you know, the church was now being formulated. Jesus had arisen back up to heaven. He'd already resurrected from the dead. And now the Sermon on the Mount so to speak, gets translated to a church community who are who's already saved. And that's going to be excited to walk through here. Yeah, and the exciting thing about James is he was there. Yeah. He saw these things of the gospel happen. Yeah. He saw um, the resurrection of Jesus Christ yeah. and was a witness to his resurrection. Yeah. So that's important to know because he is going to be one to go forward and start the church, essentially, right? And teach. This is the half-brother of James who actually previously doubted that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, and and he ended up coming to the Lord, coming to, to really to see that his brother was a savior after the resurrection. We know that the um, the issue over Gentile circumcision is nowhere to be found in this book, Right. And what that tells us is that this is a very, very early written letter about, you know, how the church should, should live. I mean, you, you don't even hear about elders or deacons necessarily in a structured New Testament format. It does, I, I think it does speak about elders in this book, but we're in such an early phase in the Christian, the church age here, and you're going to see that in, in the book of James. Yeah, most certainly. I mean... Imagine being a sibling of Jesus. I mean, imagine, you know, uh, and they're like, you're, you're our brother. What are you talking about? You know what I mean? Like, who are you? Like, yeah. we, we've lived with you. We know who you are. And right. it's almost hard to believe, even though he's right there, even though we know things in his childhood yeah. were, there were many um, signs and things that pointed to who Jesus was and the things they did as a child. But at the same time, to be a sibling of Jesus was probably pretty tough, just in the fact yeah. that what? My my brother is the Messiah. Nah, he's not. Yeah. He's not the Messiah. That would be pretty hard yeah. to really come to terms and say that someone I lived with, someone I grew up with, is the one who I must put my entire life into and to bow right. down and be obedient to him. That would be really. That would be tough. Yeah, but what else would change your mind if your brother said that to you? You know, what else would change your mind? Like, okay, I believe him now. Yeah, and I think. Obviously, a resurrection would would change yeah. that. Uh, there it is, you know. And so, <laughs> seeing seeing your brother come back from the dead would be a huge thing. Uh, it was it a huge thing everything. for everybody. I mean, it changed everything. We we're I was just uh, uh, in a Bible study this last week. We were finishing up the Book of Luke, and really, just all the all the apostles who were who were sitting there as Jesus appeared to them. It's none of them were like you know, waiting for Jesus' return. They just, they didn't comprehend it yet. Jesus had right. to come back. He was resurrected and then teach them 
and make it known to them and give them the knowledge of what he's been teaching them the whole time. He had to sit down and go through the law, the prophets, all of scripture again to show them this is what was supposed to happen. Now go and make disciples, right? So it took the death and the resurrection of Jesus, even for his closest followers, to comprehend what happened, to actually see it. So for James here, who is a the half-brother of Jesus grew up with him. It was probably pretty difficult, but even though the resurrection was the key to James's faith in who Jesus says he, said he said he is. So we do know that he, he does become a, a leader uh, of the right. early church, you know, in Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, we see that uh, Paul even takes his advice in Acts um, yeah. to how to deal with the Gentiles. Uh, things like that. And so he was really instrumental in um, some of his own discipleship for many, many people, including Paul in the, in that way, um, so he could learn. And so James played a, a pivotal role in, in sharing who Jesus is. Something that's really cool is imagine being James, who ends up teaching about what his brother said, knowing that while he first learned those things, he more than likely wasn't a believer. I mean, James teaches from a hindsight perspective of, oh man, you know, when my brother said this, now it all makes sense. When my brother said that, now it all makes sense. I have a note here uh, in my Bible, if we were to just start at a very simplistic structure, uh, a note about the theme and the message of James. And it says this, as leader of the Jerusalem church, James wrote as a pastor So he's writing from a a shepherding perspective. Mm -hmm. He writes as a pastor to instruct and encourage his dispersed people in the face of their difficulties. This is a dispersed people. So persecution is on the rise in the early church. Then it says the letter is concerned mainly with the practical aspects of the Christian faith, consisting of maxims and counsel for everyday conduct. There's very little reference to any of the central doctrines of the Christian faith. We noted that earlier. And the letter discusses, yet again, true religion, true faith, true wisdom. Here's what it all comes down to is, in a day and an age where there wasn't much church structure, what was most concerning is that a true disciple understood what it looked like to walk out that discipleship from the heart level. And then James makes it super practical. Um, The discipleship manual of the Old Testament, by the way, if it's not the book of Deuteronomy, then the discipleship manual of the Old Testament is definitely the book of Proverbs. And here's James, this Jewish man, and he's writing this book, and you can see it's very proverbial in nature. They, They tie and they bridge together, but it's very Jewish in nature. It definitely does not sound like Paul or anybody else or a fisherman like Peter. Uh, it sounds like James just got out of the synagogue. <laughs> yeah, certainly. And and James really here to kind of pinpoint all the way down is to how to be a Christian. What should that Christian look like in the acts of obedience to God yeah. uh, and righteousness? So really, as a believer— you should know who a be- other believer is by the way they walk. Right. And yeah. that is something I think the American church has got away from a little bit of what does that look like, really. Yeah. You know, we've created a culture of going to church, I think. That's been a part of America 
since the beginning of, of our country is church. Yeah. And a lot of times church church pastors and church leaders throughout our throughout our nation through and throughout history have been leaders in how we've constructed this country in many different ways. And so but today it's kind of become a little bit of a watered down in what a Christian should do on a regular basis. So we've, we've kind of got down to kind of a checklist Christianity where, okay, I went to church on Sunday. Cool. Cool. Uh, My kids went to uh, Sunday school. Oh, I send them to Awana or some sort of programming during the week. And then we go to our Bible study and uh, meet with a small group. So we're good, right? We're good. We, we live the Christian life. Well, even though all those things are great, and I think they're all beneficial to our walk with Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean we're being obedient to God in everyday life, walking our faith in this life day to day, and what does that look like? Well, obedience is following God's Word and what we should do every day, a lot of what we talked about in the Sermon on the Mount and and how we should be living outwardly, um, you know, that's a big piece of this. And and what are you doing every day to do that? So another part right. of that is to be evangelistic and is to share the gospel. It is to be telling people about Jesus Christ. And I know everyone has different gifts and everybody has, you know, different ways of doing things. And I think God made everybody unique in, in that way where we all have different abilities in the sense of what we're comfortable with, what, we're, what our strengths are, what our weaknesses are, all of those things. I think we're created by God. But we still have the same mission. The same mission is to share the gospel. So have we done that lately? Are we doing that? Are we building up other Christians in their walks? Are we kind of doing the be a disciple, make a disciple model? Are we doing both? So yeah. I think as we walk through James, it's going to allow us to see what those things are. What does outward faith look like? What does it look like to show our faith uh, to God, ultimately, to obedience to God, right? Not necessarily to man, even though the evidence should be seen by man because right. of my faith in God. You know, Kyle, I think what you're getting at is actually something I, I'm going to take a tangent just for like 60 seconds. Sure. But today I was reading Hebrews chapter 13. So I know that we're studying James, but the thought of what you said came into my mind from Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7 says this, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. And then it goes on to say, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And then verse 9, do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart Check this out. It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by food, through which those who were so occupied were not benefited. In other words, be careful of all of these strange teachings which merely say, here's how you have to act. Instead, you need to know that it's grace, or as James will later say, it's the law of liberty. It's it's what goes on in your heart that should produce a fruit on the outside. And According to what you said, it's so easy for us to get caught in these ruts. That's the perfect word for it, Kyle, is there are these ruts of religiosity that we can get into in life. And if we don't get out of those ruts, then maybe we're not 
living from a heart-based obedience, but we're just going through the motions. And at that point, we don't have a relationship. We just have a religion, as we like to say. Yeah, and I think these ruts that you speak of really need to be evaluated in our lives because these ruts turn into that's just everyday life. That's just what I have to do. I have to work. I have to do this. I have to do that. I got to pay the bills, whatever that may be. We need to reevaluate what that looks like as a Christian. We need to look at our life and say, what's most important? Well, obviously we do have to make money. We do have to work. And those are just the reality of life um, that we have to make ends meet and hopefully do more than that and excel and be excellent. But as we're walking along the way, as we're working, as we're at home with our families, as we're at church, as we're out at a restaurant um, with your husband or wife, are you living in the grace of God? Are you living in his obedience to recognize when you're being called to do something? I think that is extremely difficult at times to to do that at all times. You know, when you're at home hanging out with your children and playing, I think we should coming to our mind should be, okay, how can God use me right now with my children? How can I be an example to them in this moment when something comes up that's teachable? Am I teaching it? And so you nailed it. We have to be in that mindset at all times and we can't lose focus and get into a rut of, Oh, I went to work. I'm tired. I just want to go to bed. I want to sit on the couch. I fall into that. Right. I love just chilling and vegging on the couch. I just need to relax. Right. And that's the reality. I just worked hard. (laughs) Yeah. I just worked hard. I don't want to do that. Yeah. So in our lives, that's how it should look like. But I don't want anybody to feel like they have to beat themselves up. Right. Oh man, I do that way too often. No, you're living in the grace of God. Reevaluate, look at your heart and say, what am I focused on right now? Am I focused on what God wants me to do? Or am I kind of just stuck in this? "Mm, I'll just kind of relax and not really, I'm, I'm too tired. I'm worn out. Well, really what gives you that energy and brings you back is the word of God, prayer, those sort of things. Grace. So, um, so trust in the Lord. And even if you do feel like you're in a rut, just spend some time in prayer and you make sure you're using each moment for God's purpose. You know, I think a good title for this series that we're undertaking in James might just be true religion because true religion is not external it begins internally. Yep. Uh, with that being said, let's jump in, Kyle. We don't know how far we're going to get into James chapter 1 tonight, but who cares? We'll just let the Lord lead us. And yes, sir. if you have your Bibles along with you, if you're a listener, thank you again for joining. We pray that this would not be something that's repetitive for you, but we pray that the Scripture would minister to your heart. So James chapter 1, let's just start on verse 1. Let's do it. And Kyle, I'll, I'll read it and I'll ask you anything you see there. It says James, and we're reading out of the NASB, New American Standard. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. Greetings. Anything there, Kyle? Just verse 1. Yeah, I mean, bondservant sticks out to me right away. I mean, we me do too. know we do know that... James is is the half brother of Jesus, so we recognize that piece of it. But then he says bond servant, right of God, right. and that right there is is translating over to a slave, 
right? To be a right. bond servant is to be a slave uh, in Greek. So to think about that, we just kind of mentioned that earlier, where to be your brother's slave in a sense, right? To to kind of bring yourself down uh, to that level of saying who Jesus is to him, that I am a slave or I am a servant uh, of of Jesus. So that's how he's introducing himself. I'm James, the slave or the servant to Jesus. Of my brother. Of my yeah. brother, yeah. So here's something that I it kind of caught me, but there's no other way that this could be possible, but James just by default has to be Jesus's younger brother. Mm-hmm. What younger brother really wants to bow down to their older brother, right? Like that's just not a thing. And even more specifically, we know from studies, historical context, James is the half-brother of Jesus. But think about this. James does not even bother to claim that title in verse 1. He doesn't come out mm-hmm. in verse 1 and say, James, a brother of Jesus, a bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, right? He doesn't say that. I mean, he doesn't even take upon himself this, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He He doesn't you know, take this attitude upon himself, like, look at me, you know, I'm, I'm Jesus's brother. Hey, I, I'm the one who knows so-and-so. I'm related to that guy. He, he doesn't brag about that. He doesn't even speak of Jesus in those ways. He he speaks of him in a very honoring way. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and we also have to think about the culture of the audience. Um, you know, this is written in Greek, and um, the Greeks at the time had a very strong sense of of independence, of freedom, uh, personal freedom. And so to for James to say that he's a slave to his brother is big deal. That would be eye-opening when you read that letter right away, right? James the servant of Jesus. What what does that mean? Like that's a kind of a that's an eye-popping introduction for somebody who's reading this from this culture to say, wait a minute, who are you and why are you his slave? Yeah. Well, in this word slave in the Greek, it's the word doulos. And I have in front of me an outline of biblical usage. Here's the outline. A slave, a bondman, man of servile condition. Look at this. Metaphorically speaking, one who gives himself up to another's will. Uh, Those whose service is used by Christ in extending and advancing his cause among men. Uh, Another would be devoted to another to the disregard of one's own interests. Servant or attendant. So you get this picture of James, and he's saying, I've given up my entire life to follow this man. He might be my half-brother, but I'm, I have given up everything possible. Um, other, other things you, you could say is um, that he's literal or figuratively a slave, involuntarily or voluntarily. Um, at, at the end of the day, it means that he is subservient to, to Jesus. That's pretty incredible, Kyle. Yeah, and James also uses the term Lord here, Lord Jesus Christ, um, referring to Jesus as God. Yeah. That's also important to know, um, that Jesus Christ is God. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's distinguishing between the Father and the Son. Yep. But he's certainly saying they're both God. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And then, and then it says to the 12 tribes in the dispersion greetings. So we do have the 12 tribes, which is commonly known as 
all of Judaism, all the Jews, all of Israel. Yep. It's a common yep. uh, phrase that's used to describe all, all all of them instead of just saying to the Jews or uh, the Jews. It's uh, the 12 tribes. So we know that. But we also know that the 12 tribes at this time are, are dispersed among many nations. You know, they're not just in Israel. Uh, they are spread out among many and um, and really have roots in many communities and right. would be well known in those communities in the sense of who they are. We know that those people are Jewish. They have certain customs. They have certain traditions. They have certain things that they do, and they worship a God, right? So they would be known amongst more people than just Israel, which is important to know because we're not just talking to Israel here. We're talking to the nations and his audience is just not uh, the Jews. So we do know here that he's saying to the 12 tribes who are out there amongst the Gentiles and not just of Israel. Okay. And here's what's crazy about that is the Jewish people, typically, they were not dispersed until they were exiled. I mean, Assyria took the northern half away, and then about 150 years later, Babylon came and they took the southern half away, that being Judah, right? So it was those from Babylon who got to return home. But at this point, the Jewish people, after having been exiled, this is, you know, way before Christ. After having been exiled, they started setting up something called synagogues which, hey, if we can't worship and bring our sacrifices to the temple, then we'll still study the scriptures together, pretty much like they set up miniature little churches all around the known world. And then what's crazy to me is by the time that James writes, where we don't know the exact location, but wherever he's writing to, it assumes that the gospel has already reached those Jewish people, and th those Jewish people have now become Christians and he's referring to them as a people who are away from the nation of Israel. By the way, there's another last thought here. I mean, they might be dispersed abroad. They might not be home in Israel. But there's kind of an eschatological, an end times picture here. We know that Jesus is going to rule and reign from Jerusalem one day when he comes back, right? And we also know that he's bringing heaven to earth. So on one end, it's like he's appealing to the fact that, yeah, you're away from home now, but remember where you really belong. You belong to Jesus. And when he comes, he's going to set up shop again here on this earth. So not just a current day reading of your circumstances, but for one to come, you won't be dispersed forever. <laughs> and also, if our listeners care, James uses greetings here as a traditional or customary way to, uh, in Greek, where Paul does not use greetings. He uses grace and peace uh, when he does his greetings. So he doesn't do the same, but greetings here would be a more traditional way to start a letter in Greek more than what Paul does. So that's why this is here. James chooses to use that, um, and Paul doesn't. And I, I, I'd be willing to bet you that that word is translated from uh, the Hebrew word shalom, greetings or peace to you right because it's a very jewish letter to begin with there there would be time to look that up if we we had it in front of us more specifically but let's get into chapter one verses two through oh i don't know let's go through four we're kind of trying to get the plane off the ground here and this is fun because we're talking about the context but yeah kyle do you want to read two through four yep 
Verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Man, what a message for the day. Yeah. Couple uh, short verses here, but packs a powerful punch. Uh, definitely. Well, if we thought that the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter five, verses one through twelve, when Jesus said, "Blessed are you, blessed are mm-hmm. you, blessed are you," if we thought that grabbed our attention, James kind of takes that same idea. Consider it all joy. Oh, okay, joy uh, for what? Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That word various is the word we have for polka-dotted. When you encounter polka-dotted trials. In other words, you encounter so many different trials that you can't make consistency or sense or you can't find a rhythm to the trials. Every time you face a trial, it's something new. It's something different. It's something polka-dotted. That's what he's talking about. So you need to consider it joy when you encounter trials that you can't make any sense of. That that right. just hits you in the face. And trials are going to happen. Yeah. Inevitable. When. Right? It's it's a win, not if thing going on here. This is important to point out because there is still this idea in the church within Christianity that these trials are a negative thing that we go through. There's something that it shouldn't happen if you're really following Jesus. It's a, and, that, and that's a lie. That's a myth. Do not believe that at all. James here is saying, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, right? <laughs> I mean, he's saying the complete opposite of that message that is shared with people. Remember, we're reading from the Bible. We're not taking this from somebody else's mouth. So here in Scripture, count it all joy. So what does it mean to count all joy in these trials? Because don't trials mean it's like hard and stuff, right? (laughs) It's tough. I'm not sure what's going on. So what does it mean to count it all joy in the midst of a trial? Yeah. Yeah. It it has to mean that I see its ultimate end or its ultimate uh, benefit for my life. Right. You know, when, when we look at the word... Uh, trial or trials. It's the word perasmos. And I want to give just a a few different synonyms or phrases to kind of clarify what type of trial we're talking about. Uh, One, this could be an experiment or a a trial for proving, uh, like a proving ground. Uh, In other words, the trial made of you by my bodily condition since condition served as to test the love of the Galatians toward Paul. In other words, uh, Sometimes these trials prove the genuineness. Uh, I was just referring to Galatians chapter 4, but sometimes trials prove the genuineness of where you're at. They also test your fidelity, your faithfulness, your integrity, your virtue, your constancy. Uh, if you're being enticed even by sin or outward circumstances, what it, what it does is it really brings out the best in you. What, what's genuine in you? So, it's like James is saying, consider all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various polka-dotted opportunities to test your genuineness. <laughs> yep, and in, and in some versions here, it says when you fall into, and really, you got to think, I think about this a little bit, is 
we don't know when trials are coming all the time. It's not like we're like, oh, it's next month. There's going to be a trial. So I better get prepared. I better study my word and and get all ready and, and put on the armor of God, right? And be ready for these trials. It doesn't happen that way, right? We don't know when these things are going to happen. We are going to fall into a trial or plunge into one full force. And are we ready? Are we ready for that trial? Are we prepared? Well, what do we have to do to be prepared to fall into a trial, to count it all joy? Well, I need to know who Jesus is. I need to know my word. I need to be actively living in Christ because when a trial does come and I go through it and I can put my faith in God, and even though that trial may suck, I may get scraped up, bruised, beat up, and exhausted. Right. Right. But when I look back and I can count it as joy because of right. what I've learned and how I've grown in my faith, how much better is that trial and knowing that those trials are going to come because, hey, I'm about to grow. I'm about to grow in my faith in this trial. And if I don't make it through this trial and I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> count it all joy, Amen. whether I make it through it or I don't, because the end result yeah. is more Jesus, right? <laughs> it yeah. doesn't matter. You know, I want to speak to our listeners just for a brief second. If you're listening in your car on your way to work, Maybe you're sitting down, you know, on your couch and you're listening with your headphones in wherever you might be. I just want to speak to you and also exhort myself in this. Sometimes when trials come our way, we really see what we're made of, but we also see where we've been headed. I mean, yes, we get to verse three and it says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. All right. I know that trials are going to grow me. They're going to strengthen me. They're going to give me endurance. The word for endurance is hupomene. In other words, you're able to stand underneath the weight of something that could crush you, but you keep standing. You you stand firm. I know that endurance is coming out of this, but sometimes the trial shows me that I wasn't walking with God to begin with. And sometimes the trial is there to prepare me for something that's next. Sometimes the trial is there so that I might learn to say no to Satan that I might learn to say no to the world, that I might say no, I might learn to say no to my flesh because something else is coming around the corner where I'm really going to need to practice endurance. Let's just take this COVID scenario. Let's just take the political climate and the social environment of our country right now. Jesus will separate sheep from, from goats, right, Kyle? Correct. And I mean, if we're not careful... Sometimes trials will come our way and they will test exactly what's in our heart. Have you been walking with God? Uh, sometimes it, it's looking backwards. Other times, trials produce endurance for something to come, futuristically speaking. Sometimes trials really show us, uh, you know, I really don't want Jesus that much. I'm tired of doing this Christian thing. I'll just go after my pleasures. And sometimes trials give us a greater confidence and confirmation that our faith is legit no even through this i'm not willing to give jesus over so gosh a lot to be said here but if you're listening where are you in these trials what has covid revealed in your heart really i'm speaking to you i mean i'm really pushing if i can if i could push the buttons of your heart i'm doing that right now where are you 
What is what are these trials we're facing right now? What is that bringing out of you? What do you think, Kyle? And what, yeah, one thing I want to bring up that goes along with that is maybe you yourself are struggling with a trial or a failure. Maybe you're yeah. discipling somebody right now that is struggling with this idea of failing or going through a trial and struggling through their walk. I do want to point out that there's this idea that's put out there a lot. The first person that comes to mind is Will Smith because he does these like motivational videos and stuff where he talks about failure and how failure is good. And I watch those videos and I understand that the everyday person who doesn't believe in Jesus can learn from their failures. I'm not going to pretend that doesn't happen because people do learn from their failures. But the evidence of somebody like Will Smith and his failures is more failures. Um, His his life, uh, even though big fan, Fresh Prince, uh, you know, Big Willie style, I'm all about it. I grew up listening to Will Smith, watching Will Smith, but (laughs) the reality is he's failed and failed and failed, and his life has gotten deeper and deeper and deeper into a place that is just sinful and is not in a good place. And I, pr- right. I pray that he gets out of that. I pray that he comes into right. Jesus. I really, yeah. really do. But the influence of somebody like that, a big name, maybe has, has kind of played that into people you're discipling or maybe your own heart right now where his failures fall into nothingness. There's no yeah. foundation there in Christ. Yeah. When we as Christians fail or go through trials or, or have these struggles, we have a foundation in Jesus. We have a faith. And that faith in our heart strengthens through these trials when we get through them. That's why we can count it all joy, because of the foundation of Jesus Christ. Not because Kyle learned a lesson from his failure. I can count it all joy because Jesus is my Savior. That's why I can count it all joy. And, you know, it's so interesting. I love what you said. Because you attacked a modern day thought that's just become pervasive in the church. And the church, I got to be careful when I say the church, but Christians at large sometimes don't use discernment Mm -hmm. with that type of thinking. I mean, the truth of the matter is that the Proverbs say that the fear of the Lord, right, leads to wisdom. So the Proverbs in the Old Testament, which James is obviously being influenced with, the Proverbs do not say, hey, if you want to become wise, you got to fail a bunch. Right. You got to screw up. Mm-hmm. You got to go just experience it all, kind of dabble a little in this, dabble a little in that. Be young, be stupid. Eventually you'll grow up and become a moral person. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that if you want true wisdom, just fear the Lord and turn away from evil, which means the Bible standpoint is if you want to become wise, you don't have to sin first. In other words, God doesn't need your sin to make you wise. Now, there are times where experientially, obviously, boom, hit myself upside the head like, okay, I won't do that again. I got stung that time. I got hurt that time. I'm not going to do that. But the primary way that we become wise is obviously not to go that route. We can actually avoid sin and just start by fearing God, which, right, that's Adam and, what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. If they would have just feared God to begin with, They didn't have to go through all this. 
you didn't have to test truth out on your own. Uh, instead, they could have just trusted. And that's what God wants from us. You want to stay away from sin? Just trust him, regardless of what comes your way. Yeah, I think of people, this includes myself. I grew up in a Christian home uh, yep. with the word of God right there when I was born uh, through yeah. through my parents and through my grandparents and great-grandparents. I mean, you know, extended family, lots of Christians. And so I grew up learning the word of God from right. the nursery to um, joy bells is what we call it right. where we were at. And, and when I was three, Dang, four, five years bells. old, singing songs, learning foundational scripture in, in children's church up to youth group, became more rebellious through that time. But I grew up with that foundation. Not that it didn't take me some learning. I did have, I did go through sin, but I didn't have to. I didn't have to right. go through some of the stuff I went through. Right. If I listened and took it into my heart and really believed what I was learning, we have the opportunity to learn things before making the mistake. <laughs> right. I, I understand that experience. Uh, I, we, we do learn through experience. We learn through our life and all that good stuff, but we can also learn through other things. It's not the only avenue to learn, right? We can learn through scripture. We can read it. We can read all this stuff God gave us. I don't have to go experience it and, and do that sin in order to really know what it is. Right. And so even for those who grew up in, in the church, and maybe you're young right now, I don't know how, how young our listeners are necessarily, right? But um, maybe you're teaching your children, but letting them know that they don't have to experience those things in order to know that they're bad or evil. Right. They can just continue to follow God and learn through yeah. other people's mistakes and see the consequences of what other people did. And the Bible has plenty of those examples. You don't even have to know somebody personally who's gone through it because it's in the Bible to teach you what is good and what is not, what is being obedient to God and what is not. What does it mean to have faith in God and have a foundation in Jesus Christ and be saved? And what is not? It's in the Bible. We don't have to explore it elsewhere because we already have the truth. You know, if we if we look here at verse 4, it kind of summarizes this first thought that James brings to uh, his readers. He says in verse 4, And let endurance, let hupamene, let, let, you know, every time you stand underneath the weight of these things, and let endurance have its perfect result. Why? So that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. In other words, James is saying, allow these trials to produce such an endurance in you, and that endurance in you will lead to a maturity in you. And he's talking to Christians who are dispersed, you know, possible persecution, all of these issues. And he's saying, look, when this happens, just let it have its result. I mean, the result is that it should bring in you maturity. Our trials as Christians, ah, the Lord just, I think he just showed me this. Our trials as Christians have purpose to them. They make us like Jesus. But if you're in the world and you're not a believer, your trials are purposeless. They are in vain. You might learn some things that are temporary, but they will result in nothing. For the Christian, God will redeem everything that's ever been broken, and he will bring glory to himself from it, right? I mean, 
everything I face, everything I go through, everything you go through, our listeners, God will redeem it and do something with it. It's not a waste if Jesus is involved. You're not going to become a better you, right? I'm not going to write a book ah, come on. that talks about, hey, I'm going to Did a preacher a, say that? I'm going to become a better me. Oh, wait, maybe. I, <laughs> did a preacher say that, Kyle? I don't know. Did a pastor, maybe. did somebody write a book maybe. about that? I Possibly. think being a better you. False doctrine. I don't know. Look it up. Don't False read doctrine. it. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you're not going to do yeah. things to become a better you. It doesn't. What does it mean to become a better you? Like yeah. in reality, what does that mean? Okay, right. so you live your life, you experience things, you learn from it, and then you die. So why does it matter yeah. if you're a better you for yourself? Because if you just die, <laughs> it doesn't matter. You're dead. There is no eternal purpose. There's nothing that's going on here. So to be a better you leads to the same thing as not being a better you, and that's death. It leads to the same thing. It doesn't matter how much you do. It's all, it's all for nothing if it's not for Jesus. Yeah, and and let's just flip the statement on its head, right? If if there's no ultimate purpose, if this life is not for God, why not become a worse me? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who cares about being a better me? Why not become a worse me? Being a worse me would <laughs> just pursue my pleasures. Yeah. So you, either way, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, if, why would I, exactly, why would I want to be a better me? I don't know. It just doesn't make who much cares? sense. To, I guess it's I guess it's attractive. I don't really know. I have a hard time. I have a hard time with that concept because I hear a lot of people, famous people, smart people, whoever who are who have a voice in our culture, talking about becoming a better you or adding to who you are in your culture and being what you want to be and creating your own identity. Which then we get into really what is your identity? And if it's not in Christ, it's in yourself. And again, like I just said, yourself leads to death because sin leads to death. And there's only one that conquered sin, and that's Jesus. So you can't be a better you. You just can't. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, Kyle. Why? Let's just put a hypothetical in front of us. What what purpose does the atheist have for living a moral life? You know, I, I mean, you know, your typical atheist who might be a little bit uh, pompous or arrogant, but he's a really moral person. I mean, what what's his purpose? And, you know, what's his motive for being a moral person? What do you think? I'll tell you what I think, but what do you think? I mean, if I'm I... am not trying to no, no. bag on the atheist, but, yeah, yeah. you know, the kind of like a hypothetical. No, if I had to put on atheist hat or somebody who didn't believe in Jesus in general was just living a good life, a moral life. Right. Um, I think some of that has to do with maybe... Uh, adding to humanity, um, giving yeah. something to to humans to improve human life, uh, leaving some sort of legacy behind with your name on it to say, look what I did in this lifetime when I was alive. Um, you know, it's all kind of leads to this, what did I leave behind right. kind of Who mentality. <laughs> um, you know, you know, I, you know, we, we probably see the names of dead people on buildings all the time and we have no idea who they are. Um, yeah. and they lived for that. And, and really, what did it do? Nothing. Your name's on a building. That's cool. No one knows who you are. You know, maybe a few people do, but so you live for this legacy or this idea that you're going to improve humanity and that's enough for you. Um, 
but I just don't believe Gosh. that. I don't believe it's people think empty. that's enough to live for because it seems kind of depressing to think all I'm living for is to hope somebody remembers me. And if we really think about history, even if you're a history buff, how many people are actually remembered by by the masses? And even if they have famous names, people don't know that much about the famous names. Yeah, they may. If I said, if I said George Washington right now, right? Um, okay, I, yeah. Do people know a few things? Yeah. Do you really know? Right. He's what he a, did? a president, <laughs> a general. Uh, but yeah. what battles did he win? Right. Where was he what born? What character did he, did, it, did he have? Yeah. Who were his friends? Who was his family? Yeah. Was he married? Like, do you know all yeah. those answers? Probably not. <laughs> and, and the point I'm trying to make is even great men, mm-hmm. right? They get forgotten. And I think Ecclesiastes points us in this direction. I have a point to why I asked the, why I asked the question, and we'll probably close with this. But Ecclesiastes even seems to show, you know, you're just forgotten. Like, think about it. I don't really know much about my my uh, grandfather on my dad's side. I definitely don't even know the first name of my great grandfather on my dad's side. Now that's that's hard. That's kind of sad, right? But the fact is, is that the only person who cares about your legacy, in an ultimate sense, is Jesus, right? Like for the Christian, we leave behind a legacy because we want people to know the Lord more. But if you were to remove Jesus out of it, any type of moralistic life that the atheist could live or just any, you know, somebody who's just, I don't know, they're following some religion, it's it's actually a form of pride. They're only doing it because at the end of the day, our hearts as people without Jesus are so wicked that we will seek to live a moral life just to show God, look, I could do it without you. And God's like, nah, see, look at your heart. It's bitter and it's prideful. Coming full circle, what I'm trying to say is James gives us this idea that trials are redeemable for one purpose, that they make us more like Jesus. The Mm -hmm. greatest purpose of the Christian today, coming full circle, is this, that you become conformed to the image of the Son of God. My trials make me more like Him, and when I become more like Him, I'm truly looking Christian, Christ-ian right? I look more like him. And if it takes trials to get there, I might not like it, but so be it. Because a true Christian pays attention. They examine their heart. They look at their heart attitude every single day. Am I loving Jesus? Am I really loving him? Am I really becoming like him? Is it his grace working in me or is it me doing this deal to try to pretend like I'm Christian? Fake it till I make it, right? Trials, full circle, test my genuineness of my real Christian faith. Yeah. So kind of like what we talked from the beginning as we end uh, this episode, are you in a rut? Are you feeling like, Hey, I don't even know where to go next. Cause I think sometimes I feel that way probably more than uh-huh. once a week, right? <laughs> Where you're just yeah. kind of <laughs> stuck and uh, I don't know what's going on, but I think we all fall into that at times, but we have to realize that, these trials, these ruts, these struggles, whatever we want to describe them as, as Christians, what they help us do is become more like Christ uh, and continue yeah. to live in that identity of who Jesus is and not who I am, not who Kyle is, 
because Kyle, whether I become a better me or I become a worse me, it doesn't really matter if it's right. not about Jesus. So yeah. I, we encourage you guys because we know everyone struggles. We know everyone sins. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We may not know you personally. We may not have a deep relationship with you as a listener, but we do know that everyone falls short of the glory of God and that everybody needs Jesus. And so whether you're a non-Christian or you're a Christian struggling, know that through this time of struggle, maybe it's doubt, maybe it's uh, being impatient, maybe it's whatever it may be, give it to the Lord and know that this trial will make you more like him. And then live in that grace, live in it, because that is powerful. It is encouraging. It is loving. And it is who Jesus is. So Live in who Jesus is through your struggles, and we'll continue to pray for you. And I hope that uh, you continue to listen to our podcast as an encouragement to you, and you walk through the book of James with us as we study and learn and join us uh, in a couple weeks where we'll continue chapter one. We'll have an interview next week that we're excited about with Jeremy Pryor, and hopefully we'll be able to share a little bit about uh, fatherhood or family discipleship, which I'm really excited about, and jump into uh, some of that discussion as we continue. So thank you all for listening to episode number 21. Please share, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Hey, I'm going to pray us out, okay? Lord Jesus, we thank you for our listeners. Uh, God, you know, sometimes life is really difficult. And yet the one question we need to ask is, is my trial producing in me a greater worship of my King? God, you are Lord even over our trials. So have us all. Teach us how to walk in your grace. Teach us, Lord, how to wake up. Sometimes trials wake us up. Lord, we want to be genuine. We don't want to be bored with our faith. We want to be on fire. And if these trials make us on fire, then Lord, we'll take it. But I pray for our listeners. I pray especially for those who are listening right now. This just came to mind. Maybe you're dealing with the loss of a a loved one. Maybe you're facing something so cataclysmic right now. You just got news of cancer. Uh, You're taking care of a loved one who can't take care of themselves. Maybe it's you're going through something very difficult. And you're listening to this episode and you're thinking to yourself... (laughs) easy for them to say and you're right it easy it is easier for us to say but lord i just ask you god with your gentle merciful gracious love would you just touch their heart lift their face cause your face to shine on them make them new and change them forever lord get them through this time get them through this time in jesus name amen